Hey, it's Stu with Bitcoin and Financial Independence. And wow, it's been a wild last few days with Silicon Valley Bank and everything going on there, which uh, maybe not everyone has been totally clued into, but uh, I definitely have seen some great posts on LinkedIn and some great analysis. I actually wasn't going to talk about that necessarily because I had queued up some other things to cover in some countries that are experiencing some hyperinflation. And this was back in February. But I think I'm just going to start and we're going to lead into what happened with Silicon Valley Bank. And we'll see how far we get. It came to my attention an article from Reuters from the 16th of February, 2023, uh, where it says Lebanese depositors smash up, burn Beirut banks. So I was reading this and there's a video in the article, but I just thought it was interesting that there were lots of protesters in Lebanon attacking banks in neighborhoods and blocking roads. They're protesting informal restrictions on cash withdrawals that have been in place for years. And then they also talk about these rapidly deteriorating economic conditions. It said that the protesters had targeted six banks and the protest started as the Lebanese pound hit a new record low. So they're experiencing hyperinflation. The value of their money is cratering and making life much more difficult for these people. And what's happening is that in 2019, the banks in Lebanon had imposed some restrictions on withdrawals in U.S. dollars and also in Lebanese pounds, but they were never formalized by law, so the depositors are still trying to access their funds by lawsuit and by force, and their money, holy cow, this is, this is crazy, their money has lost 98% of its value since the financial sector imploded in 2019, and it was about 80,000 Lebanese pounds per U.S. dollar on Thursday. And it had been just two days earlier, 70,000 pounds per U.S. dollar. So more than a 10% drop in currency in just two days. The central bank is struggling to manage the crisis and their currency is just continually crashing, yet people cannot access their dollars or their pounds in banks and they're trying to like figure out what's going on. And all it says at the end of the article is that Lebanon was working with the International Monetary Fund for a bailout in April of 2022. But almost a year later, has failed to carry out some reforms to finalize it. So so that's a pretty interesting article. And, and there was a few articles that I I pulled up on this when I first heard about this original article. And I'll share a little bit more. But, you know, the exchange rate I mentioned, it was 80,000 pounds per U.S. dollar as of February 16th. Uh, back in 1997, it was 1,507 pounds to U.S. dollar. Okay, and that rate remained the same until 2019 when there was a bunch of economic crisis and it lost tons and tons of value, as you can see. So I'm not even sure what actually caused the economic crisis unless I happen to see what caused it in one of these uh, articles that I have pulled up. But yeah, just just how quickly it can happen. Like It seems like they had done Band-Aids over the years, and then all of a sudden, it's just like they couldn't keep the lid on it anymore, and they pretty much had to let it fly. And then you get these protesters. You're getting armed robberies, people robbing banks to get their own money. Uh, there was a news story about a lady with a gun uh, holding people hostage at a bank before leaving with $13,000 in cash from her own account. So it's really crazy. People have nothing left to lose. And the lady that did this holdup uh, was trying to get money for her sister's cancer treatment. So it's some wild stuff, but basically it just seems like a lot of government corruption and mismanagement. And over 75% of Lebanon's population have since gone into poverty. There's gas shortages, there's power cuts, there's deteriorating government services and crumbling public institutions. 
So it's pretty wild over there. That's kind of the high level. I have to dig in deeper to get more details. Obviously, you can see possibly the need for Bitcoin, money that's totally accessible. This happens in countries around the world uh, with some regularity, it seems like. It's just that we in the U.S. don't ever really pay attention to that. And, you know, they were pegged to the dollar. It sounds like they use dollars a lot in Lebanon at times. They have two currencies, and there's a lot of countries that are like that, and they will spend in the local currency and save in dollars. But yet the government and the banking system was totally locking down people and not allowing them to access their funds at all, which is really crazy. And I saw this other article. This was from March 1st of 2023. This is from Forbes. But the, the title of this one is The Nigerian Election and the Naira Crisis Are Fueling Bitcoin Adoption. That's their currency, I think, is the Naira or the Naira, something like that. What's going on there is that they redesigned their currency and that has made worse some of the economic hardships that they're already facing and it's increasing pressure on the unbanked. And Nigeria is a democracy and so they were voting with all these economic challenges at the forefront and actually Bitcoin is gaining traction, it's gaining adoption in Nigeria. It is viewed by many Nigerians especially the younger generation, as a safe haven for both the underbanked and the unbanked as these economic conditions get worse. So in Nigeria, the inflation rate is 21%. There is a big cash shortage because they redesigned the currency. It's talking about the paper money in circulation. And the reason why they had to do this was there was a ton of counterfeiting of currency of some of the larger bills that they had in circulation. And so during the transition, what they did was they instituted this weekly cash withdrawal limit, which started in December of 2022. And it limits you to a certain amount of money that you can withdraw as they're trying to go more cashless, more to like, kind of like we are, like with debit cards and credit cards. That's basically what they're trying to do is they are trying to move to be more digital money, but they also had to replace some of these heavily counterfeited uh, physical paper money. So it's just not going well. I guess there's two printing locations which distribute the notes and they're having a hard time getting it all in circulation. So there's a big cash shortage because people ha can only get these small bills and there's limits and they just can't get their money. So they're ending up actually sleeping in line to try and get money from ATMs and get money from banks. So that's some of the stuff that's going on with Nigeria. And obviously they have a lot of inflation with it being 21% or higher. But the other thing is that there's a lot of remittances that happen all throughout Africa. And obviously Bitcoin is really well suited to remittances with the Lightning Network because the fees are minuscule and it's instantaneous. It's really fast. So it seems like Bitcoin is getting heavily, heavily adopted in Nigeria. And I thought that was kind of an interesting development with their currency redesign. All right, moving on to Silicon Valley Bank and what happened. I think on Friday, uh, it's been pretty interesting to see, but, bas but basically the stock of Silicon Valley Bank started going down pretty significantly. And there was a statement put out by the CEO to remain calm, which kind of reminds me of what people said at Celsius and Voyager and BlockFi and Gemini and all these other exchanges that have had hard times ever since uh, Terra Luna and everything that was rehypothecating funds and basically lending out your Bitcoin or your Ethereum or whatever cryptocurrencies you were using, and they were not doing it safely, they were not doing it in the right way. And it was li literally a, a legit Ponzi scheme on a lot of those accounts. And Binance is kind of in that same boat. So if you're on Binance, I would get out of Binance and look towards a Bitcoin-only type exchange. Uh, I highly recommend Swan, River, 
and Strike. Those are my three go-tos as far as where to get Bitcoin. You don't have any of the drama of these altcoins with blockchains getting stopped and started, which defeats the purpose of a blockchain and and uh, just all the noise of altcoins. That's a lot simpler and it's a lot more real, I think. So anyway, the bank is telling people to be calm and, and yet people are withdrawing money pretty quickly. So there's multiple issues at play here. And some of the issues is that the bank grew really fast. Uh, they loan out a ton of money to startups in particular, and they got a ton of deposits in the last few years. And so they had to do something with that money to turn a profit. And what they ended up doing, uh, because it got so much so fast, is they ended up putting it in treasuries or like bonds, um, which is debt from the U.S. government. And this is considered one of the safest investments you can make because the U.S. has never defaulted on its debt. And it's just supposed to kick off a nice little yield. So they bought a bunch of long-duration bonds last year before the Federal Reserve started raising rates. And so the bonds that they're getting are paying a yield of, let's say, 2 to 3%. And let's just say that I buy a $100 bond that's paying 2%. And now the Federal Reserve has raised rates so much, so you could go out and buy the same bond, a two-year bond, uh, and it's going to pay you 5%. So if I wanted to sell my bond that pays 2.5%, I'm going to have to discount the price because you could go buy a brand new one that pays you 5%. So why would you buy my bond, basically, my $100 bond that pays you 2%? Basically, I had to bring the price down of my bond, which the overall bond market fell about 20% last year. So what happens is I have to sell this bond that I paid $100 for, and I'm selling it for 80 and so that's part of the problem is that they had to buy all these bonds and now those bonds are underwater and they can't sell them and they're yielding not very much compared to inflation and everything else. And so they got a ton of deposits, but now rates are so much higher. So you have all these venture capital backed startups that are using this bank. And like I got laid off by a venture capital backed startup. They had raised over $100 million, but yet they still did layoffs. And, you know, they probably have some sort of debt that they have you know, some business loans or something. And it's just a lot harder to make money now with inflation. And, and so what they did was they started cutting and they started laying off departments. And since the rates on business loans are probably going up, they probably want to pay off debt if they can or not take on any more debt than they have to. And so if they had of the over $100 million that they raised from venture capitalists, let's just say that they had $50 million in the bank that, you know, they could have used to maybe do an acquisition or they could have used for any number of of things to hire a new team or to build a new product or do some research and development to use for marketing or any number of things. They were kind of just sitting on a portion of it, let's just say, in this hypothetical situation. But at the same time, they're not profitable. And so let's just say that they start as they're trying to turn a profit and they're selling more customers and they're onboarding more clients all the time. Uh, they, they did the layoffs, we're past that. And let's just say that they're pulling out two to five million a month to make up the shortfall of how much profit they have versus how much operational expenses they have. So that's kind of the situation I think a lot of startups are in. And so what ends up happening is that the bank is underwater on their bonds and they loan mostly to startups. And like I said, this, all these startups are kind of in the same bucket where money is harder to come by. And when you have business debt, it's a lot more expensive now. And so they're leaning on their savings and trying to just keep building while they try to get to profitability. But the money is flowing out of the bank. And then all of a sudden, the bank sends this message like to be calm. The stock is trading way down. And you hear a rumor that 
there might be problems at the bank. And so it kind of starts what's known as a bank run. And what this forces the bank to do is to sell more and more of its bonds that it bought at a loss. So they're underwater on it and they have to sell and realize the loss. And on top of that, they just can't sell fast enough. And they also just don't have enough money because their investment went down 20%. So they cannot pay everybody. So this bank is essentially insolvent. That's what happened. And so then the FDIC comes in and it's really interesting because um, one of the board members of the bank also had a seat at the board of one of the Federal Reserve Banks. And another one of the executives used to work at Lehman, which went under in 2008 in that financial crisis. So like there's some really interesting stuff. There's also most of the executives sold millions of dollars of stock. They're cashing out. So that tells you that they know something is wrong. What's funny is I had one share of this and it, I got recommended to buy it from Motley Fool. Uh, I have since canceled Motley Fool and I no longer have any dealings with them. Uh, I've sold all the things that they recommended me. So it's kind of funny that I had that one share. I think I bought that one share for 450 bucks. I tried to sell it and it didn't go through because they took control of the bank and they halted the trading of the stock. So I don't know what's going to happen with that one share that I tried to sell, but it's not worth much anymore. And it was only worth 450 to begin with. So it was just a small part of my portfolio. But anyway, kind of funny. But what's the big deal is that the FDIC insurance doesn't really have a fund that can cover all of the money that was in this bank, all of the deposits, uh, because it was a lot of money. I don't have the exact number in front of me right now. It was billions and billions of dollars. And so for all these companies that may have had millions of dollars, like Roku had over $500 million deposited with Silicon Valley Bank, um, they were only going to get $250,000 of that. $250,000 out of $500 million. Uh, luckily, that's not the only place that they banked, but guess what? Of course, there's some sort of plan that is coming out to basically cover up the losses. They're just going to fudge the numbers a little bit at the federal level and sell the assets at par. So they're selling these bonds that would have triggered a huge loss and they're selling them at today's value, which doesn't make any sense. This is a way of money printing. This is a way of currency debasement. And I thought Dan Held put out a pretty interesting thing where he said, too big to fail, too big to jail. It's, you know, they're just ran this bank, kind of uh, appears incompetently. And it's unfortunate for all the startups that had the scare of, you know, a lot of them are probably decent companies and they're trying to disrupt. But it also makes you think about the model of Uber and Lyft and DoorDash. Like these are unprofitable companies that are just backed by stock. Uh, you know, they, they collect money from the public markets and they get money from VCs. But man, when are they ever going to turn a profit? They have been around for so long. And there's a lot of stocks. There's a lot of companies like this. Because the Federal Reserve kept interest rates low, near 0% for such a long time, there have been all these distortions, both the real estate and the stock market, uh, because there are a lot of companies out there that are not profitable. And this is what they call a zombie company, that they cannot survive without cheap money. The way that it's been done for the last 10 years or so is just borrow as much money as you can, raise as much money as you can, and then once you get a good valuation, sell some of that to the public and collect money from the, the stock market, uh, issue shares, and just grow as big as you can and get as much market share as you can, and then figure out how to be profitable. And you know, like I said with Uber and Lyft, don't spend 10 years, still not profitable. So like, how does this continue on indefinitely? I'm, I'm not sure, I don't know that it does. And the Fed raising rates, it's a weird thing, but they, kind of caused this by leaving rates low for so long and raising rates too late, too fast probably, 
Uh, and that's what they kind of said was that we're going to raise rates until something breaks. Well, I think things are starting to break. And so one of the first things I Googled was other banks in a similar spot to Silicon Valley Bank. I Googled something like that, like banks that are having high outflows or banks that are, have massive unrealized losses, something like that. And one of the banks that I bank with is Ally Bank. They are in a similar position, but really it doesn't matter unless they experience a bank run. And obviously the amount of money that I have at a bank, it's not 250000 so it would be covered by insurance supposedly. But yeah, it's, it's interesting how all these startups are, are getting bailed out and I'm glad for all the little people and all, you know the tech sector has been tough uh, because this would obviously have made a lot more layoffs happen probably in the tech sector, which I don't want that to happen to all the, the normal people. But man, some of these founders and stuff, it's just, uh, it's cutthroat. And I don't know, it's a, it's a tough situation out there. Uh, but let me, let me go ahead and say this. Uh, there's this thing called fractional reserve lending. And I believe, and I believe if you've ever seen the musical Alexander Hamilton, this is kind of the, the way that he set things up, I believe. And by the way, that's a great musical. I like it. I saw it live not too long ago on a, on a triple date with my wife and, and some friends. But, you know, what it's done is it's allowed the U.S. to grow to a large degree, I think. But at the same time, when you have fractional reserve lending, every bank is insolvent if everyone wants their money today. So let me say that again. Every single bank is insolvent if everyone wanted their money today. So contrast that with Bitcoin and self-custody. Now we've seen exchanges like Celsius, Voyager, BlockFi, FTX, they can halt trading. They can shut down. They can have a huge hole in their balance sheet. And FTX was, was the worst one where supposedly there was X amount of clients Bitcoin. But in reality, there was a big hole in the balance sheet and they didn't have it. They were just making it up. This is why it's so important and why you'll see in Bitcoin circles, you'll see the phrase, not your keys, not your coins. If you have Bitcoin on an exchange, you do not have Bitcoin. That's what you'll see people say. And that's what I'm telling you. If you have Bitcoin on an exchange, you do not own Bitcoin. They own Bitcoin. You have an IOU. It's no better really than a bank. So this is the other saying in Bitcoin is be your own bank. You can go order a Trezor, a Ledger, a cold card, Arculus, all these types of wallets. You can, you can download Mun Wallet or Blue Wallet or the Wallet of Satoshi app on your phone. And you can pull your Bitcoin from an exchange down to self-custody where no one can lock you out. As long as you have the key to that wallet, Bitcoin is there for you 24-7. Permissionless, uncensored money that you can access. This is why they say be your own bank with Bitcoin. Because there's no intermediary. There's no central authority. You own your Bitcoin and it's peer-to-peer. -peer. You can do whatever you want with it, whenever you want with it. So I'm going to take this moment to say, if you have Bitcoin on exchange and you want to get it off of the exchange and self-custody it, and you want any suggestions or coaching, let me know. I'm happy to walk you through the process. There's also a host of good info on YouTube and blogs you can find, I'm sure. You just got to be careful about who you listen to, who you trust. I'll share one YouTube channel that I think is really good, and it's called BTC Sessions. Uh, I believe he's pretty good. I did watch a 20-minute self-custody tutorial that he did, I think, with Blue Wallet. I'm not sure which app it was. It's not that hard to self-custody. You can do this 
in 10 to 20 minutes, especially with a hot wallet. This is a wallet that's going to be connected to the still, so there's still a larger attack surface if someone hacks your phone. So you got to be careful. There are layers to this. First step, like if you have Binance or Coinbase and you want to get your stuff off really quick on your laptop or on your phone, download Blue Wallet or Wallet of Satoshi or some other reputable wallet and set that up. You're going to have to write down your seed phrase, these 12 words. That's the password to your wallet. Whoever has that controls that wallet, so you have to keep it safe. You don't want it to get wet or crumpled or thrown away because then you won't have a key to that wallet anymore. And if, if someone steals it, they can do whatever they want with it. So that's the first step. And, and it's, like I said, it's connected to the internet, which is another attack vector if someone hacks your iCloud or steals your phone and figures out your password or something like that. But at the same time, you're off of exchange and you have self-custodied. The next step would be to get it off of an internet-connected device, and you would do that with a cold card or a Trezor. And again, you would generate a 12 or 24-word seed phrase, and you can write it down on paper, but that's not what I would do. I would buy crypto tags or I would buy billfold. It's hard to say on a podcast, but it's B-I-L-L-F-O-D-L. So it's like a billfold. It's metal plates. You basically want to buy these metal plates where you can put your seed phrase onto metal plates. And that to me would be that next level of security. That's what I did with Celsius is I got everything out to a hardware device, just one. And finally, the last step would be to do a multi-signature account, which you could do. You can. There's ways to set it up yourself, but the simplest, easiest way would be to go with Unchain Capital or maybe Casa. Uh, I've talked about them in the past. There's probably some other solutions out there by now. I think Arculus has a way of doing things as well. So that's my recommendation. Those are kind of the three steps from a hot wallet to a hardware device to a multi-signature storage that's the most secure. You might not have enough money wrapped up in Bitcoin yet, to need to go multi-sig. But once you're off exchange, you know, it's it's just baby steps in learning the process. It's not that hard once you get started. It seems intimidating. It seems scary, but it's not that hard. So let me know if you need help and I will link some stuff in the show notes and on my website. Go check that out. And if you have feedback or you want to get in contact with me, reach out on Volley or leave me a voicemail on my website. Also, while you're at it, grab some free Bitcoin from Strike, Swan, or River, three of my favorite exchanges for Bitcoin only. And remember that financial independence is doable, and I'll be back with you soon.